the Ortho PAC hosted by Sam Dyer. Welcome to the Ortho PAC where we discuss up-to-date orthopedic topics for the busy clinician. I invite you to sit back and relax as I attempt to fill in the gaps between education, current events, and real-world practice. Today's episode focuses on athletic injuries of the ankle. Dr. Bienz is a board-certified, fellowship-trained orthopedic surgeon with specialty in foot and ankle. Good morning, Dr. Vienz, and welcome back. But let's start proximally regarding the ankle. Achilles tendonitis. A lot of people have it. Athletes get it for sure. What would you say are the typical treatments? Like you said, it is super common, and a lot of what you need is patience. And that's really the case with all Achilles issues, whether it's tendonitis or a tear. Time is, is your friend with the Achilles. That's one of the things I really emphasize a lot with the patients uh, is don't expect this to be gone in two weeks or sometimes even two months. Sometimes it can take four to six months or, or longer to really to get through it. As far as how do I treat it, a lot of it just depends on how angry or how inflamed the patient is when they show up and what else they've already tried. Sometimes patients will come in and it, it almost acts like they've got an infection in their in the back of their leg. They're so angry and inflamed, they barely even touch it without wanting to jump off the bed. In that case, it's not uncommon for us to try putting him in a walking boot for a period of time. I usually don't have to go with crutches, uh, but certainly that's that's possible. It'd be very rare for me to have to put somebody in a cast for Achilles tendonitis or tendinopathy. It wouldn't say never. And it sort of, again, depends on where do they really hurt, what do x-rays look like, do they hurt on that insertion of the Achilles down on the bone, or is it higher up in the non-insertional area? In the end of the day, the treatments often are, are pretty similar, but patients can present a little differently. If they're really hurting more in the non-insertional area, often wearing their shoe doesn't bother them. But if they've got a big Haglund's prominence or calcification of where their Achilles inserts into the calcaneus, then shoe wear can be tricky. So if they aren't in a boot, we might have them trying open back shoes for a period of time or just really playing around with the type of shoe they're wearing. You know, some will hit a little higher or lower than others. And sometimes people will have them modify their shoe and, and put a little extra padding in the back, almost like building a little safe zone for that bump to, to sit in their shoe. If they're not terribly angry and inflamed and swollen, then often the biggest thing I'll do is, again, counsel them about it, but get them into physical therapy. I think that's the most helpful part in general for the Achilles tendonitis patient on top of telling them how long it, it can take. If you get them into physical therapy when it's super angry and inflamed, it's often just going to inflame it more and it's going to be counterproductive. Occasionally, we'll do like an oral steroid pack, something like that. Never doing any Achilles injections with steroids into the tendon itself. In the very rare situation where the tendon itself is actually looks really good and they have more of that like retrocalcaneal bursitis symptoms where they're their pain really is isolated to the area behind the Achilles or in front of the Achilles, I guess, depends how you're looking at it. Then sometimes we'll we'll try a shot, uh, but usually with ultrasound guidance to make sure that you're putting it where you thought you're putting it and that you're not um, putting it into the tendon. But usually patients will end up having an MRI or something like that beforehand to make sure there's nothing weird going on and make sure the tendon itself does look okay and that it really is kind of isolated to that retrocalcaneal bursitis area. But 
definitely for the listeners, I would just say don't ever stick a needle into an Achilles, certainly not with steroids, unless you really want the patient to rupture their Achilles, which I've seen, I can't tell you how many times the patients come in and uh, they say, oh yeah, urgent care or someone else did a steroid shot last week. And then there you go. Now their Achilles is ruptured and they've got a new problem. I want to emphasize that don't inject around the Achilles tendon. Dr. Viennes might or order an ultrasound guided, but he's a foot and ankle specialist. As a PA in an urgent care or a primary care, please don't inject those. Don't inject patella tendons either, but that's another topic. Keeping in line with Achilles, uh, what about ruptures? I can remember when I started that there was evidence of doing a progressive plantar flex boot or cast and gradually every week or two bringing them back up. And then it changed and the whole world changed and it was always surgery. And now it's kind of come back around. And I was just hoping you might touch on that a little bit. A great point. And this is a conversation I have with all of my Achilles tendon rupture patients pretty much every time. Although whether or not patients are good candidates for one or the other technique really kind of depends on underlying medical issues, activity level, social factors, and and probably the biggest uh, is timing from injury. So how far out from their injury are they seeing me and what have they been doing between when they're seeing me for the first time and when they were injured? And that's really pretty important. And we'll get into that in a second. So So basically, there's two ways of treating an Achilles rupture nowadays in 2021, non-surgical or surgical, but non-surgical does not mean do nothing, okay? It it does not mean just sort of get him into PT willy-nilly and just kind of figure it out as you go. Now, you can do that, but your outcomes aren't going to be the outcomes that we're necessarily talking about or that you read about that you can have a good outcome with. You're really talking about very specific functional rehab program, which often does include period of progressive weight-bearing in a controlled manner and a lot of physical therapy and, again, patients. So, you know, I tell patients that even a pro athlete is going to take 6 to 12 months to get back from an Achilles rupture, okay? And then that's their job is to get back to playing sports and their prior level function. And not everybody does. Not every pro athlete is able to get back. It's ended many pro athletes' careers. So if a pro athlete who has access to everything on the planet to help them, and it's their job to get back, and usually they're not your average person, otherwise they wouldn't have been able to become a pro athlete in the first place. If it takes them that long, it's going to take a normal person that long. That's that's really key um, because following the protocols and following the steps can't be overemphasized because if you push it too fast, too early, or have that no pain, no gain attitude with the Achilles, you're often going to end up going backwards or re-injuring yourself. The risk of re-rupture really doesn't drop off until about five months or more. If a patient comes in, I'll tell them about the studies. There's been randomized controlled trials, which I've recommend all the PAs really looking that up. There's a good journal of bone and joint surgery article, level one randomized control trial, which are relatively rare in orthopedics, but there is a good one done out of Canada that has sort of become, you know, essential reading, I think. And if you use that protocol, those patients did equivalent to patients who had surgery. And that's equivalent as far as re-rupture risk, length of, uh, of strength, 
obviously their infection risk was lower because if you never have an incision, you don't get an, you can't get a wound problem or an infection. And that's often one of the biggest things we're worried about is a wound problem or an infection when you're talking about Achilles tendon surgeries. Now, the other thing to emphasize is minimally invasive approaches for doing surgery are different than the old school ways where I'm sure Sam has seen patients have their whole back of their leg filleted open. And I mean, that certainly is going to carry a much higher risk for wound problems. But even with the minimally invasive approaches, you can still get a wound problem and that can be a terrible issue. So smoking, diabetes, et cetera, certainly increase your risk. So again, those are the things we'll be talking about patients with for which route we might want to go. The other thing that's really important with that non-surgical protocol is getting into the protocol and getting in early. Within 24 to 48 hours, you really need to be getting started with that treatment. So it's the patient who walks in and has been walking around or hobbling around on their Achilles rupture for the last week doesn't fit into that protocol, obviously. So it doesn't mean you can't try, but I tell patients, we just don't know. We don't know, are you going to be able to do just as well with the non-surgical functional rehab program as surgery? Probably not. And the reason being is the Achilles tendon likes to heal. The problem is, does it heal stretched out or does it heal in the appropriate tension? And if you have an acute injury where the tendon ruptures and then you start walking on it, your body weight and the ground pushing up on your foot is just stretching it out, stretching it out. Well, then it starts to heal like that. So like Sam mentioned earlier, you know, the, the idea of a plantar flexion cast and then slowly bringing up back to neutral really kind of does apply. So that protocol that we're talking about would have you go into a non-weight bearing plantar flexion cast for two weeks. And then you come out of the cast and go into a boot with heel lifts. And then you slowly start progressing weight bearing and then pulling the heel lifts out to gradually lengthen that tendon as you're, as you're weight bearing it. The initial non-weight bearing in the cast is helpful partially, I think, as a safety issue. It's hard to get around in a, a plantar flex cast without slipping, but in the end, it actually is good to be loading the tendon and tendons actually heal better, better that way. That That's really critical. And, and, you know, in the urgent care setting, I've taught RPAs to get the patient off of it, get them either into a boot with heel lifts or a splint plantar flexed, or even a cast, and then get them in to see me or, or my team sooner than later so that the patient's options are all still kind of on the table. But obviously that isn't always what happens or the patients go somewhere else or a general urgent care and they, they've been walking around on it for a week or two, at which point it's a lot less predictable because they've already sort of stretched it out and it's healing stretched out. And then you're going to have issues with push off power and, and things like that. Now, for some patients that might be fine. They don't necessarily care if they don't have that same sort of explosive ability. But if we're talking about an athlete, you know, that often does really matter. And e even in those studies that they've done the non-surgical treatment for, I've talked to some of the people who were involved in those studies you know, they'll tell you that they're still doing a lot of Achilles tendon surgeries and, and on high level athletes as well. So it is an option. And for some patients, it is the, the better option to do the functional rehab, non-surgical treatment. But for a high level athlete, oftentimes they do end up going down the surgery route. And I've seen some people that have had this treated non-operatively in the past, you know, when they come back and they really do well. You know, the high-level athlete's different, but a lot of people do well. So something to keep in mind. Yeah, they really can. 
Absolutely. Yeah, I have many patients who we've been able to do it. And it was funny when we first started, it was a little tricky getting the buy-in, not just from the patients, but the physical therapists. There are some physical therapists who almost even called me one time and, and said something <laughs> about like, this is a malpractice. How can you do this? And it's like, no, 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 you know, let's take a breath and, and gave them the articles. And then they were on board and they were like, okay. And you just kind of have to have buy-in because if you don't, it's not going to work. If, if patients aren't believing and, and the therapists aren't on board, but, but it does, it definitely can work. And I've had people get back to being personal trainers and firefighters and other recreational athletes after non-surgical treatment of an acute Achilles rupture. But again, it's following that specific protocol. They came and saw me immediately, et cetera, et cetera. Perineal tendonitis or peroneal, whatever you like to call it. I do see this a lot in runners. And I was just curious, are there any other athletic activities that would come to mind? And then also, how do you manage it? And when do you consider imaging to see if there's a tear? You're right, perineal tendonitis, definitely common. You know, oftentimes we'll see it in patients who do a lot of things on uneven ground. So hiking tends to be a common activity that can cause or aggravate perineal tendonitis. Probably the most common time I see it treating a lot of athletes is in patients who've had either a really bad ankle sprain or repetitive ankle sprains. Because those perineal tendons are the secondary stabilizers of the ankle after you've injured the ankle ligaments. So if someone's ankle ligaments aren't doing any of the work, then the perineal tendons are the ones doing all the work. And not only can they get angry and inflamed over time, but they can get start getting frayed or tears. But you can even have acute injury too. So the same force that causes a significant ankle sprain can can cause a tear in the perineal tendons, depending on where their foot was at the time they injured it. Or, or sometimes you can even have a perineal tendon subluxation or dislocation where the patients tear their superficial perineal retinaculum and, and that the perineal tendons kind of pop out around the fibula. And sometimes we'll self-reduce right away, but that's something to look for that we're we're thinking about in patients who have an acute injury and pain in the perineal tendons. You can have a perineal tendon rupture also, which isn't the most common thing, but it can definitely happen. One of the things you want to be thinking about if you see one of those calcifications on the side of a foot x-ray, you know, that's the uh, os perineum, which is a normal finding in a lot of patients. But if, if you see that and it's not sitting there next to the cuboid, but it's further back in the foot, more towards the heel, that should trigger in your mind that particularly if they have pain there that that perineus longus tendon may have ruptured and now it's retracted, which is why you see that bone further proximal in the foot. Those are, again, acute injuries, not so much the tendonitis thing, but it, it's, it all kind of goes together. You know, as far as how do we manage it, again, it, it's like the Achilles in some ways. You know, if it's angry, super inflamed or, or an acute injury, you know, more likely to do uh, immobilization with a boot for a period of time, maybe crutches, possibly a steroid pack. Again, we're not going to be doing injections into the perineal tendons. Occasionally, if on an MRI, if I know that the patient's perineal tendons are intact, then it's just perineal, like perineal tendon tenosynovitis. Occasionally, we'll do an ultrasound guided perineal tendon sheath injection. Those can be useful. You know, if they've got a history of chronic ankle sprains and on exam, an unstable ankle and they have perineal tendon pain and difficulty uneven ground, pain with eversion, 
I'll often get an MRI sooner than later so that we can more confidently take a route with treatment. So it doesn't mean that every patient that has a perineal tendon tear needs surgery. There's lots of people walking around that have perineal tendon tears or split tears that don't have any symptoms at all. But our threshold is going to be different in that patient that we know has a split tear that just isn't getting better with physical therapy, more likely to just say, okay, enough's enough. Let's save your physical therapy visits until after surgery and move on. I find that it's particularly in these athletes a lot better to just get the information and know what we're really treating so then you can kind of have a better, better idea how long this might take and things like that. Well, great information on the ankle. Great stuff. Thanks, Dr. Vienz. Thanks a lot and uh, look forward to talking again soon. Thank you for joining the OrthoPAC podcast. Join us for our 21st annual meeting in Nashville, Tennessee, PAOS in the Music City. September the 6th to September the 10th, 2021 at the Omni National Hotel. Check paos.org for details.